Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. Today, I'm going to cover one of the beliefs I have, which is the craziest, most extreme, just unbelievable thing that I hold to, and that is that creation took place in six literal 24-hour days. Yes, I am being sarcastic. All right, you can connect with me always by email, bearchristianity at gmail.com, on Instagram at therealbearmartin, and on Twitter at bear4christos. All right, now, for a bear in the woods, we're going to jump right into it today. I uh, Last weekend, my kids love birds, and so we got this bird feeder. And at first, we I had it like uh, hung from our on our on our, our porch. Um, we have a covered porch, and so I hung it from there. And it just the seeds were getting everywhere with the birds, and so we moved it. We want to move it in front of our window, and so I had to hang it off of a tree. So I'll, I, I videoed this. I probably need to like edit it down and, and put it up so you can see the awesomeness at which I hung this uh, bird feeder from the tree. But in the process of doing that, I learned to tie a bowline knot, okay? So I grew up playing a lot of baseball. I did not do Boy Scouts or anything like that. Uh, Some kids go to Boy Scouts when they're little and they learn to tie knots. And I did not, I played baseball. So while some of y'all were learning how to tie knots, I was dropping bombs, exactly. And then I'll just have to learn to tie knots later in life. So uh, after watching a YouTube video, I learned to tie a bowline knot. Previously in life, if I needed to tie a knot, I just started wrapping the rope in just a lot of different ways until I felt like it was tied enough. Uh, But now I know how to tie a bowline. All right, so I'm a professional now. Um, So I hung this bird feeder. I had to duct tape a baseball, a cable to a baseball and throw it over a limb. Of course, I'm a baseball player. No, No problem. No problem at all threw it over the limb and then uh, strung it up to the tree and then the bird feeder just hangs at the perfect height so that my kids can look out our back window and see the birds all day long come feed on the bird feeder. By the way, you ask, you know, how good is this knot that he tied? Um, It just withstood a hurricane. So I think it's good enough. And this has been a bear in the woods. So God created the world in six literal days. Genesis 1, I believe, teaches this very clear. And so let's just jump into the context first, the context of Genesis 1. Moses wrote this for the Israelites. They were they were rescued from Egypt by God. And so the Israelites are now in the wilderness, and Moses wrote to them the first five books of the Bible. So these Israelites, think about what they're, they're learning about. They are learning about the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're learning about the Lord who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. When, when the Lord gives them commands, he, a lot of times in the Old Testament, he says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, therefore blank. Okay, And so they're learning about the Lord who rescued them from Egypt. And so Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I talked about this is out of nothing. This is ex nihilo. God did not need 
some sort of eternal matter, and he now he's just kind of reorganizing it. No, God created out of nothing. In Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So, verse 2, I believe I explained this last week. I believe that this is stating simply the condition of, of creation. So God created the heavens and the earth. That's a general statement. And then now it's going to go into the particulars. So when God first created in the first instance there, it is a without form and void creation and darkness is over the face of the deep. So it's the, that's the status. Now, I do not think that this implies some sort of cosmic battle that's taken place between good and evil, or that there's a massive gap of time between the first two verses of Genesis, uh, and, and so this, this condition of the earth is the result of a, a punishment on God's previous created universe. I don't hold to any of that. And then, and so, so basically, in eternity past, the triune God existed perfectly happy in himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in perfect communion. So God is not lonely and needing something to worship him, and therefore he decided to create. That is, that's not the reason God created. So, the, the, that's, so we have the general statement, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then the condition that God starts to create to create in these six literal days. So as I read this, the first thing that jumps out to me is it seems that Moses is simply stating the chronological order of creation. So if you ask me to detail the events of my week, it, I would I would give you a straightforward order. Okay, so an example: the first day, Sunday. Okay, on Sunday we made blueberry muffins. Then we went to church. Then we ate lunch. Then I fell asleep watching the Braves game. Then we went to church that night. Then we picked up Chipotle on the way home. And then we went to sleep and woke up the next morning. Okay, that's that's the chronological order of my uh, of of Sunday. And then I could go through the rest of the week and just lay it out like that. And and that's what that's the way it seems to read as I'm reading Genesis one. It it is um, there's different things on each day, but it's always separated by this evening and morning. Okay, so let me read Genesis one. Three through eight, and God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, "Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters." And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. All right. So all six days you have, there was evening and morning, the blank day. Okay. So Moses seems to be emphasizing a chronology here. Now I realize that earth's relation to the sun is what we use to determine our days and that the sun was not created until the fourth day. But going back to the first day, it's there was evening and there was morning the first day. And so God is God. Okay, <laughs> that is that is a very basic statement, but just think, God is God. God does not need the sun to determine what makes an evening and a morning, okay? God gives us that to, to govern the night and the day. And so, and, and we'll learn about that in, in later episodes, but um, but God does not need the sun to know what is evening and morning. 
the Moses simply tells us there was evening and there was morning the first day and the second day and third day and so on. Okay, so it it, it seems as I read it, it just reads like a a straightforward chronological order of the way things took place. I do not believe that this is poetry. Okay, the Lexham Bible Dictionary. In the, in the section on biblical poetry, it cites Robert Loth, and Robert Loth is an 18th century Anglican bishop, and he says this about Hebrew poetry. He says, parallelism, parallelism is the hallmark of Hebrew poetry. So you have these, in Hebrew poetry, the main thing that, that sort of classifies it as poetry is that you have these parallel statements, and he classified these parallelisms into three different classifications, and I'll run through these for you. The first one was synonymous. This means that the same thought or idea is repeated in different terms. So let me give you an example. Psalm 13.1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Okay, so it's this. It's basically saying the same thing. It's synonymous. It's saying the same thing in two different ways. The next category by Loth is antithetical parallelism, and this is when the parallel statements are placed in opposition to one another. Let me give you a very familiar verse if you've been listening to this podcast for the last several weeks. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so these two parallel statements in this instance are antithetical. They're they're in opposition to one another. And then the last category is the broadest category, but and it's called synthetic. Okay, so that's the last category by Loth. So it's it's broader and usually the parallel is an intensification of the first statement. So the second statement intensifies the first. Psalm 103. Know that the Lord, he is God. Okay, that's the first statement. And then this this next one is going to intensify what was just said. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So that those are examples of Hebrew poetry. And again, parallelism is the hallmark of Hebrew poetry. So without this parallelism, it, it's going to be a difficult argument to make that this is poetic. Okay, so that is very important. Parallelism is the distinctive feature of poetry in the ancient Near Eastern culture, okay? Not rhyming. Uh, so I just think of, you know, well, that ain't poetry. It don't even rhyme, right? Um, so not rhyming or anything like that. But but get this. Here's what's beautiful about biblical poetry. In this parallelism, it, the, the meaning and the richness of biblical poetry is not lost because it doesn't depend on rhyming and things like that. If poetry has to rhyme, then when you translate it into a different language, it, it loses its, its beauty. But in, in biblical poetry, it crosses language barriers, almost as if God knew that we would need multiple languages to know about him. Anyway, it crosses language barriers. So if rhyming were important, you're just stuck in one language. But in biblical poetry, I can I can only know English. I don't know Hebrew, yet the biblical poetry is beautiful and it has deep, rich meaning. Uh, that's just a little side note about biblical poetry. But I don't believe that the creation narrative in Genesis 1 is, is Hebrew poetry. We don't see this parallelism. Now, 
the creation narrative does contain poetry. And so see if you can, can hear it here in this verse. Genesis 2, and 23. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there you go. There's some biblical poetry for you. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So I believe that Moses is stating you know, Genesis 1 in this straightforward chronological order. I do not believe that this is biblical poetry. And then also uh, another reason that I, I believe in six literal days of creation is that the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible, and especially if you have the same author. And so Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11, and this is the passage where God is laying out the Ten Commandments. Moses writes to the people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." So the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and it is based on a literal interpretation of Genesis 1. The Sabbath for these Jews is not some unknown poetic you know, uh, time period. It is a 24-hour day that they are supposed to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And remember, Moses wrote both of these. So, so in, in the Ten Commandments, one of the most popular you know, sections of the Bible, we have evidence there that, that God intends for us to understand Genesis 1 as a literal six days of creation. So those would be my arguments. The last one being that uh, yom, the Hebrew word for day is yom. And so, for, for example, yom kippur is the day of atonement. All right. So yom is a 24-hour literal day unless the context implies something else. So in, in English, people may say, you know, in my grandfather's day, Da 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 da. All right. And so that obviously day there is not talking about a literal 24 hour day. It is talking about the time that your grandfather lived. Okay. So in Genesis 1, again, we have evening and morning, the first day. So, so again, the natural meaning of Yom is a literal day, 24 hour day. And then when you team that up with evening and morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, then that's that stronger argumentation that this is this is Moses talking about literal days. It is a stretch to interpret it as anything else unless something other than God's word is driving your interpretation. So I've, I mentioned this like in every episode, but if if current scientific consensus is driving the way you view the Bible, then then you will try to stretch and manipulate anything you can to try to make it fit together. Hello, friends. I rarely do this, but as I was listening to the audio, 
I realize that the argumentation for what I'm about to present, 2 Peter 3.8, was incomplete. There was a few other things that I needed to mention. And so, uh, again, I rarely do this, but I'm going back and editing out this part. So if you listen to this a while back, like the first week that I released this episode, this next part on 2 Peter 3.8 will be different. So here we go. In 2 Peter 3.8, this is a, a, a verse that people will use to try to say that their creation days are longer than a literal 24-hour day. And so the verse reads like this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Okay. Now, I do not think that this works for a few reasons. First of all, it's not a secret formula. You can't say one day equals a thousand years to God because this is more of a, a poetic type statement. Again, you, you see the parallel, uh, the parallelism there. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. It's kind of saying the same thing in reverse. All right. So I, I think this is sort of a poetic statement by Peter, not a secret formula that we can plug in a calculation. And even if it, it was, then it still only gets you Earth being 12 to 16,000 years old instead of six to 10. One day is a thousand years. All right. So that, that, formula doesn't work. Now, I don't think that this is like a uh, an exact formula. I do think that this is more symbolic language here by Peter. Uh, but the point he's trying to make, he's not talking about the creation days being so long, and that accounts for an old earth theory or interpretation of Genesis 1. Peter is talking about God's timing versus our timing. Um, a lot of times we're like, God, where are you? Are you work? You know, aren't you supposed to come in and save the day? Like, what are you doing, God? What are you thinking? What are you waiting for? Um, sometimes you can feel that way as a Christian. And so Peter is talking about Judgment Day here in Second Peter three, um, and and also in in he's talking about Christians who are being mocked. Uh, and persecuted. And so let me give you a verse. It's just a few verses earlier than the one I, I just read about the thousand years one day. Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of the coming? Talking about the second coming of, of Christ. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So people mocking Christianity will say, where is God? You know, he said, the Lord said he was coming back. Where is he? You know, um, he, he's not really coming. And so this could cause Christians to doubt in, uh, to doubt God. And so 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter is encouraging Christians here and saying God's timing is not our timing. What may seem slow to us uh, is, is not slow to God. God does not work fast or slow. God works perfectly. God's timing is always perfect. He is in complete control of time. And so to us, we, we may want God to work slower or faster, but we must trust 
God. He is the one in control. And so again, that that's the encouragement here in this verse to Christians. I do not believe that we should use this you know, poetic phrase by Peter as an interpretive grid to place over Genesis 1 and, and conclude that the earth is old. Okay, and now we're heading back to the original audio recording. Now, as a disclaimer, there are several faithful Christian men and women who hold a different view than I do. If your reason for holding your view is because you truly believe that the Bible is teaching that view, then I'm okay with that. If you are trying, if you're saying, well, I know that the modern, you know, scientific consensus is correct in that the eight, you know, as far as the age of the earth and all that stuff, if you say, I know that that's true, and I just don't know if the Bible's true the way that it's, you know, been interpreted, then, and you're trying to mash those two together and make the Bible work with modern science, then again, I believe that is shaky ground for the professing Christian. And so you're, you know, we, I trust the Bible first and then let, let science, you know, do say what they're going to say, whatever. Um, the Bible is my ultimate authority. And so there, there are other views out there by faithful Christians. I'm not kicking them out of, of Christianity or anything like that. Uh, but I would just ask you, what is your ultimate authority? And to me, it seems very clear. Genesis 1 is teaching Six literal 24-hour day creation. Now, in closing, we are nowhere close to being done with Genesis 1, uh, but I, I just want to go back to that Second Peter 3.9 verse, and I just read it, but if you are an unbeliever, realize this, that every second that you live, every second that you are sucking in air is a display of God's mercy. He is being patient with you. Repent of your sin. You will never be good enough to deserve God's favor, but he graciously gives the perfection that was earned by Jesus Christ and and Jesus Christ alone. God gives that perfection to all who trust in, in the perfect work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus lived a perfect life, perfectly obedient to the Father's will, and died on the cross, paying the punishment for our sin, the sin of all those who believe in him. So repent from your rebellion against the creator of the universe. Come to him empty-handed, acknowledging that you need a savior from sin. That savior is Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank you.